record a podcast. The time has come, the Isaac said, to talk of other things, of sequels, spinoffs, and reboots, of what the movie means, and why the takes are boiling hot, and whether pigs have wings. Kalu Kalei record today. We're cat podcasts and kings. <laughs> Lot, a lot of songs to pick from in this one. Did you guess? I did not. I had no idea. There are so many songs in this movie. In fact, the most of any Disney animated movie. Yeah, by a lot. Although some of them are like a sentence long. Yeah. But no, I the, the walrus and the carpenter bit is really fun. So I, I kind of wanted to... Wanted to do that, and I put a little more effort into it this time, of course. Yeah, you did. I feel like this one was a good mix, because sometimes I do a really high effort one, sometimes I do a really low <laughs> effort one. This one was high effort, but then also the punchline is cat podcasts and kings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's good. Let's. You know what else is good? This movie. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about this movie. and welcome back to Me, Mom, and the Mouse, a podcast about the joy of watching cartons with your family. <laughs> like milk cartons? Yeah, it's like, put it out on the counter. Yep. Take a look. Uh, it's a very bad podcast. I wouldn't <laughs> listen to it. Uh, it's a joy of watching cartoons with your family. We're watching every film in the Disney animated canon and talking about how it was made, what it means, and why we love it or don't. My name is Isaac Coleman, and I'm joined, as always, by my mother, Rue Coleman. Hello again, Isaac. Hello. Of course, this is a very special day for you that we're recording this. Special day for me? It's your unbirthday. Oh, it is my unbirthday. And you know what? It's your unbirthday, too. Hey, now that you mention it, it is. Obviously, this week on the program, we are continuing Disney's silver era. Mwah! The best of the best. <laughs> I just did a chef's kiss motion. That only mom could see. With, obviously, 1951's Alice in Wonderland. Directed by, brace yourself, Clyde Geronimi, Wilfred Jackson, and Hamilton Luska are the main credited directors, but also directing specific sequences were Mark Davis, Milt Call, Eric Larson, Frank Thomas, Ollie Johnston, Ward Kimball, John Lounsbury, Wolfgang Reitherman, Les Clark, and Norm Ferguson. Wow, that's a lot of people. That is, we will talk about this, but that is the good and bad in some people's view, mostly good in my view. The thing about this movie is they had a ton of directors. Each director was basically doing a sequence Makes sense. And uh, they were all trying to top each other. (laughs) They were all like competing to see who could do the craziest, best animation. And they all won. (laughs) So mom, what does this movie mean to you? I think this is another one of the first Disney movies we owned on VHS when I was a kid. The second VHS release was in 1986, which would have been just about the right time when my grandmother was starting to send us the VHS movies as Christmas presents. I have seen this movie so many times. I feel like I remembered every story beat as it came along. And the music even for the Mad Tea Party took me to Disneyland because you can hear that song in Fantasyland because of the Mad Tea Party ride, you know, everywhere. You can hear that music. And so I was so surprised when it came on in the movie and I was like, oh man, Disneyland. (laughs) 
My family also has a tradition of taking pictures at Disneyland in front of the little door that's the White Rabbit's house. I think before I watched this movie, I wouldn't have called it one of my favorites, but after watching it, I think I've been taking it for granted. I really enjoyed it. (laughs) It's interesting because I have a very different background, but had a similar viewing experience. We didn't own this on VHS, as you say, perhaps you were underrating it, but uh, either way... I mean, isn't isn't that funny that it's like, you know, whatever VHSs you happen to buy, that's right. what molded me. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's probably one of the ones that again, I would never I would have thought, you know, Alice in Wonderland is fun, but I never would have felt like, yeah, I need to own this one. This is one I want to watch over and over and over. But rewatching it was like, I do really like this one. <laughs> Right. I'm positive I must have seen this movie like once or twice, but I have no specific memories of it. Yeah. Other than kind of the imagery everyone's familiar with. So this was a fairly fresh viewing experience. And I, like you, came away being like, this movie's really great. Yeah. Um, And I actually bought it (laughs) after watching this. (laughs) And I'll explain why that is and which version I bought specifically a little later. Because it wasn't the Blu-ray, I'll tell you that. (laughs) We'll get to all of this. Uh, But yeah, this movie rules. Yeah. And it's interesting because people didn't always recognize that. Yeah. So as always with these Silver Era movies, there is way, 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 way very much too much context to really talk about. So uh, I apologize. We're going to skim through a lot of different things because that's we're not a history podcast, as I always say. So the book Alice's Adventures in Wonderland was published in 1865 by Lewis Carroll, who, of course, was actually named Charles Dodgson. And you've heard of this book. I'm not going to explain it. But two things I did want to mention about the book, because I think they are relevant and interesting. One is that it, like the Disney movie, was not popular on release. (laughs) It actually didn't really become popular until... The sequel, Through the Looking Glass, came out. Oh. That kind of renewed interest in the original book, because that one was much more popular. (laughs) Uh, And then eventually it came to be seen as this, you know, great work of English literature. But it really wasn't a release, because it was, I don't know, too weird and too episodic and didn't (laughs) have a story, really, which are all of the complaints leveled at this movie, even though the movie is not really a good adaptation of the book. It takes from both sections of the original book as well. It takes... From both. Alice's Adventures and Through the Looking Glass. For yep. example, The Walrus and the Carpenter and uh, Tweedledum and Tweedledee come from the latter book. But uh, the other thing that I always think is really interesting about the book, because a lot of people don't know this, it is now seen as kind of this like, oh, it's nonsense. And it's yeah. this masterpiece of like total fantasy and weirdness and ridiculousness. The reason it reads like that to us now is because it's all reference humor. <laughs> it was... And I mean, what a horrible comparison to make. It was the Ready Player One of its day. (laughs) In that it existed only to make references. Obviously, unlike Ready Player One, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland has any artistic value whatsoever. And will be remembered 10 years from now. (laughs) Also, it it has an actual interesting story to go with the references. Right. Again, any reason to exist... (laughs) Uh, it's not the worst thing that has ever happened to culture, so it's not really fair to compare it to Ready Player One. But it is like, 
All of the stuff that just seems like weird randomness now is references to things at the time, like painting the white rose red. The red rose symbolized the house of Lancaster and a white rose, their rival, the house of York. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's all stuff like that, which obviously there's no way to know now unless you like have the Wikipedia page up (laughs) and even still scholars debate what some of the things are referencing. Yeah, I'm sure. But of course, famously, the origin for the book was like Lewis Carroll and uh, the Reverend Robinson Duckworth were spending time with several young ladies who were daughters of a friend of theirs, which was a thing they did. And they were just like telling a story to entertain these kids. Yeah. They were just like, oh, Alice did this and this and this. (laughs) So it's almost like a usual suspects thing where they were just like, you know, thinking of stuff that was happening at the time. But telling it in a silly way for kids. Exactly. It would be the equivalent of being, you know, oh, so Alice uh, went down the looking glass and there was this big orange piece of crap. (laughs) Then he was defeated by the oldest man in the world. Like that's kind (laughs) of. Yeah. That would sort of be the equivalent, um, but of course most of that context is lost to history, and much more so lost to modern readers, which is yeah. why the book has now taken on a completely different meaning and cultural association <laughs> than the author ever intended, Yep, which I find really interesting. So Walt Disney read these books, he loved them, it's... It, very obvious why they would appeal to his sensibilities. Mm-hmm. When he was working at the Laphogram studio in Kansas City before he had his own studio, he worked on an Alice in Wonderland short there uh, that was a live-action girl interacting with an animated world, uh, although this movie was never actually released to the general public because the studio went under. Of course, in 1936, they made the Mickey Mouse cartoon Through the Mirror, He did make the Alice comedies, though, after he came to Hollywood with a different studio. Oh, yes, yes. We should mention that. Yes, go ahead. Because that's kind of what that that original idea he had with the Laughograms turned into the Alice comedies, which did have a little girl named Alice, and she just had all kinds of wacky adventures with animated things. Yes. So, of course, he made those. Thank you. I I can't believe I skipped over that. And then they made, in 1936, the Mickey Mouse cartoon Through the Mirror. Yes. uh, Which I actually have seen a lot because I think we had some VHS. I absolutely cannot remember what this is, nor do I think I could even find it down. But we had some VHS that just had several Mickey cartoons on it. Yeah. And one of them was Through the Mirror. And I know that I... Well, the early ones, I feel like on that particular collection. Yeah. And so I've seen that many times. I watched it again before we recorded this. Uh, It holds up. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. So he kind of always wanted to do an Alice in Wonderland movie. That's why he's making all these shorts. After Snow White, when they had all the money and success, (laughs) he bought the film rights to both the movie and specifically uh, Sir John Tenniel's illustrations. Sir John Tenniel, a man with just... The god of mustaches. <laughs> Let me send you a picture. Oh, please. I must see. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> He's the walrus, isn't he? <laughs> he might have been a genetic combination of a walrus <laughs> and an Englishman. He's He's got like a, a tube sock coming off of his face. It's so <laughs> long. He could wrap it around his neck like a scarf. It's ridiculous. It is kind of... So they bought the rights to that. They talked about doing it as a combination of live action and animation. 
they talked about doing it just as animation. They went through several different art styles. Disney was really excited to do it. But, of course, World War II happens. And Walt knew that this movie was going to be really expensive, so it gets shelved. Yeah. And this is the period we've already kind of talked about where, you know, they'd started it, but hadn't really started it. And then during the end of the wartime era, they start working on it. There's a competition between Alice in Wonderland and Cinderella that we talked about last week. Yeah. And it comes out the year after Cinderella. But... One thing I did want to talk about, again, went through many different variations. Like, there was going to be one that was more like the Alice comedies, where there would be a live-action little girl in an animated world. Ginger Rogers, Lisa Davis, and a person we've talked about so many times, Luanna Patton, (laughs) were considered for this role. Eventually, Disney was like, no, the best way to tell this story is pure animation, which I think is the right call. I agree. I specifically want to sort of talk about one of the biggest, craziest variations, which was he hired an author named Aldous Huxley, who is, well, was a very serious, dramatic British author who had written some screenplays to put together a screenplay. And you can read all about this mouseplanet.com The Disney Alice in Wonderlands That Never Were, (laughs) which is an incredibly long history of this movie. Very fascinating. I recommend reading if you're a big, big nerd. (laughs) Otherwise, it's probably too dry. But it has a complete synopsis of this script. Wow. Which is insane because this movie would have been mostly a live action telling of C.S. Lewis writing the book. With no, interspersed... No, no, um, Lewis Carroll. Sorry. I knew I was going to make that mistake. I always make that mistake. I knew. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to keep it in <laughs> so that people know that I am weak. <laughs> Lewis Carroll, of course. I know it's just two fantasy authors named Lewis. It's too much for my feeble brain. <laughs> Okay, no, it was going to follow... It wasn't even really going to follow Lewis Carroll because it was going to follow, you know, the actual guy. So Charles Dodgson yeah. is, you know, what he would be known as. So mostly the movie was going to be that. It was going to be, it sounds like that, uh, whatever, that terrible Tolkien movie that came out. Oh, I didn't think it was that terrible. Uh, I didn't care for it, but that's okay. It's okay to have different opinions. Yep. But it would have been a bit more like that, where it's mostly this live-action story of Charles Dodgson and Alice Liddell, who was the real child who may or may not have been a big inspiration for Alice, but is at least who she's named after, and other real people from their lives and telling this whole story of, like... It sounds, frankly, incredibly boring. (laughs) It sounds... Quite normally, I'm the one you know who would be advocating for, like, oh, yes, more serious Disney movies and more like things that break from the Disney formula. Uh, but this this whole synopsis just sounds really boring because, again, it sounds like that incredibly standard biopic thing with these animated sequences kind of telling the story of the book throughout. Yeah, and the weird thing is, Walt loved it, like, they had a story pitch meeting, um, that just coincidentally happened to be on the day of the Pearl Harbor attack. So this uh, Huxley, you know, meets with all of the writers at Disney uh, and Hamilton Luskin, Walt Disney himself. And uh, apparently Walt basically really liked it <laughs> and and they were going to do it. But then later, I think he realized that it would be pretty terrible. 
But while they were working on it, and this was, again, Pearl Harbor, so obviously then World War II happened, so they have to stop. And then when Disney comes back to it, that's when they're like, well, maybe it should be live action and animated, but it should just be an adaptation of the book. And then eventually, no, it should just be animated craziness, which is what it should have always been. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's kind of funny how long it took them to get to the most obvious and most obviously correct pitch. But I think maybe they were slightly intimidated by the project. Mm -hmm. uh, as you say, obviously, they combine a bunch of stuff from both books. They play pick and mix with their favorite things from the original book. Yeah. And Disney commissioned a bunch of songwriters at the time to write songs based, some of them based on like actual parts of the movie, but mostly based on some of Lewis Carroll's poems, yeah, whether or not definitely. they were actually in it, which is why you get stuff like the... Uh, of course, the Walrus and the Carpenter segment that really has nothing to do with anything, but it's just a very fun interlude. 30 songs were written, and 23 of them made it into the movie in some form or another. Again, some of them yeah. are very short. They're just, you know, the Cheshire Cat being like, Oh, Mimsy, where the poor grows, or whatever. Yeah. that It's interesting to see some of the other songs and some of the other story directions. I would think it would have been fun for people familiar with the book to be like, oh, I recognize that he's saying part of, you know, that poem or the other in just those yes. little snippets. Oh, look, there's Father William at the... Tweedledum and Tweedledee do a smidge of. And... Yeah, I, I definitely had that experience with the Cheshire Cat because in high school I had to memorize the, the poem Jabberwock, which kind of made me hate it forever, even though I'm <laughs> sure it's actually a good poem. But uh, the, the experience of memorizing it was not. Um, and, and I wanted to mention the Jabberwock as well, because like that is one of the scenes that got cut was Alice would encounter the Jabberwock in the Tolgi Wood, and they wrote like a specific song for that. And then the Cheshire Cat would have his own song. Yeah. Um, but then they got rid of both those songs and, and just sh do a shortened version of the poem that the Cheshire Cat is kind of weirdly humming. Mm -hmm. because it's just in a lot of the different drafts and versions, like Disney was really all in on the Jabberwock, but then it, it doesn't really make it into the movie, which I think is fine. I think that detail is especially interesting because of one of the spinoffs we're going to talk about. Okay. So it was released and it was not very popular. It didn't really do super well at the box office, although it did pretty much fine. Mm -hmm. uh, and critically, it was not well liked, mainly because it's not a good adaptation of the book. Well, no. I mean, two books condensed into one hour and, what, 18 minute movie? Something like it's that. It's not that long. That's no way. <laughs> yes. And like the complaints were, it doesn't have as much of a story as the books. And it's just kind of Alice wandering around. Yeah. It's too Americanized. <laughs> and like all the darkness has been cut out of the book. And it's it's more just kind of cartoony goofiness. It was compared negatively to the Silly Symphonies, for example. And basically Disney was asked about all this and was like, yeah, of course. That's the movie <laughs> I made. <laughs> Like, what did you guys expect? I don't know. Mm -hmm. But it became very popular on uh, television, on the Disneyland show where it was shown. And then it became popular on more home video releases. And it especially kind of found a second life in the 70s as a psychedelic experience. Once again, <laughs> like Fantasia, do drugs and watch Disney movies. That was a very popular activity in the 70s. And Hey, at least it kept them alive, right? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> 
And so now the movie is much more appreciated. And I think one of the big changes there is that really the appeal of this movie, and we're going to go through it, but I mean, it's not like we're going to dive deep into the complicated plot. Right. The thing about this movie that is so fun about it is that it is these Disney animators who are at the top of their game really just showing off. (laughs) Yeah. That is the appeal of this movie. I don't, you know, it's not like I care about the characters or the story. Mm Mm-hmm. We'll talk about this. I don't even really like a lot of the songs that much. I think they're mostly serviceable (laughs) with a few big standouts. But like the visuals are so great. They are. And I think at the time this came out, animation isn't respected as an art form. So people, again, all of the contemporary reviews are comparing it to the book and talking about like, this doesn't have the literary value of the (laughs) book. It doesn't need to, though. It's not a piece of literature. Right. It's a piece of animation. And, you know, now that animation is seen as a a real art form as it is, people can recognize these are great animators doing incredible work. Now, the other thing I think it's important to talk about here, everybody knows I love talking about home media. Yeah. Physical releases. And we definitely have to talk about this for our experience because, as usual, we watched the Disney Plus version. The Disney Plus version is one of these traced Blu-ray releases that we talked about (sighs) last week. Go back and listen to the Cinderella episode. It didn't come up on that episode, even though we had a big tangent about it because, like, For some reason, this one isn't talked about when people talk about like, oh, these are the ones where the restoration is really bad. Yeah. Maybe because, again, this film is somewhat more of a cult classic. It's not as beloved as like Cinderella. But this one's awful. It was so bad. I didn't even really notice it on Cinderella very much until you called it out. But when we were watching Alice in Wonderland, I noticed almost immediately that it must be that same tracing restoration and some of the colors in certain sections of the movie were so bad and it was very frustrating and I guess I was thinking maybe it's because in Cinderella you're caring more about maybe the characters and less about the pictures but in Alice in Wonderland it's all about the images on the screen right Mm -hmm. the characters are not people you care about so much but you're looking at the funny things you're seeing right And so I feel like that's why it was more noticeable, maybe. I really noticed it, and I was very disappointed. And I am interested in hearing which one you bought, because I'm assuming you you bought one that will hopefully have a better picture, because, oh, it was so bad. Yes, I I just want to talk a bit more about the version we watched first. It really is horrible. And the thing that looks the worst is Alice, because, of course, Alice was rotoscoped animation you know a lot of it is rotoscoped live action footage like they did for cinderella catherine beaumont catherine beaumont not only voiced the character but played her and then did the same for wendy in next week's movie yes and so like it's obviously rotoscoped animation but good rotoscoped animation you don't think about it Uh whereas in this it looks so rotoscoped it's so obviously a trace the colors in the whole thing are flat Again, this is one of those where you can look up YouTube clips that look better than the official Disney Plus release. That's so weird. The comment I made at the time is, boy, I love that all of the Silver Era movies have been redrawn to look like wartime era movies. Because it does. (laughs) It for large portions of it. It's really, I think it's worse 
than the Cinderella. And maybe you're right that you just notice it more because of the nature of the movie. I don't but know. But I think it's worse. It's really noticeable and bad. It's a travesty, man. Because, like, again, yeah. this is... This animation is, like, important. It is important for the history of animation. Yeah. It's this seminal work of art. And you just it had somebody who was making $2 an hour draw over it. And it looks like Garbo. Mm-hmm. There were many other home releases. The best one is uh, the Masterpiece Edition, or what's considered the best one, which includes not only the movie in, like, its best format... Uh, with the DVD restoration, which is just an actual restoration, not this horrible traced garbage. Nice. That includes a ton of special features, including something I'm very excited to watch, which is a full hour-long episode of the Disney television show that promoted the film, which featured Catherine Beaumont, Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy, Mortimer Snurd, Bobby Driscoll, and others. <laughs> that does sound interesting. I am excited not only to watch the movie, but watch that. The reason I bought it right after was because I was looking up these home video releases. And as you know, especially in quarantine, I've really gotten into like collecting rarer Blu-rays and things. And yeah. Hunting down this stuff. So I was like, oh, let me see if I can find a Masterpiece Edition. I found one for $11. It was the last one in stock. I was like, bye! Because <laughs> it's out of print. Yeah, nice. So that's that. That's why I bought one immediately. But yeah, this, this Blu-ray is frankly offensive. I want to get on my soapbox here because the week we're recording this and I know we're going to date it instantly. <laughs> we're recording this on the weekend that The Muppet Show came out on Disney+. Plus. Yep. And uh, of course, we've both been watching it. Yeah, we love The Muppet Show. Who doesn't? With this Disney Plus release, as with many Disney Plus releases of things, there have been a lot of weird issues. Certain episodes are missing. Certain segments of episodes are missing. Huh. The ones that were released on DVD were just taken from their, like, DVD transfers. The other ones are clearly taken from VHS transfers. I watched <laughs> a season four episode yesterday that literally had, like, those VHS tape scan lines on it. Weird. It's pretty bad. No effort has been made to restore them. Huh. And I saw this, like... People were saying on Twitter yesterday, the very bad website, people are complaining about all these problems and blaming Disney for all these problems, but they had all these rights issues and this other stuff. And the big thing that was being said was, you can't blame Disney for this. Yeah. And in the main thread I was seeing, also making the point of like, hey, it's still great that they put them all out on Disney+. Plus. That's a right. great thing that they've done. Yeah. And I want to say a couple things about that. The first is that the Disney Corporation is the biggest media company in the world with no meaningful competition. Yes. They are huge. They buy entire studios. I don't know if people have noticed this. When a studio is competing with them or has something they want, they don't buy the thing they want. They buy the studio. Of course. That is how much money and power Disney has. Yeah. If they wanted to resolve the rights issues for The Muppet Show, they could. Mm. If only by buying every other copyright holder possibly <laughs> in the world. We are talking about an evil mega corporation that is larger and more powerful than any corporation should legally be allowed to be. Right. So we don't have to give them credit for anything. You don't have to defend <laughs> the Disney Corporation for anything, ever. What is the point? The Disney Corporation will not care about you. It will not love you. Right. Whether you defend it or complain about it, 
you know, it's not like us with our dumb little podcast can do anything to Disney in a way that matters. You know, right. we could, they won't even notice us. Exactly. No matter what we do. And obviously this is not a, a podcast about complaining about Disney. The other thing, of course, in that thread talking about like, isn't it great that they've released it on Disney Plus? If they can release it on Disney Plus, they can release some DVDs and Blu-rays that you actually own. The reason they're putting it on Disney Plus is because they never want you to own anything for yourself. <laughs> they want to be able to sell you air just empty vapor. That's what Disney Plus is. They want to control. <laughs> exactly. But so my point is like, the Blu-rays don't have to look like this. I'm sure, you know, their next round of releases are coming up soon. They gotta presumably upgrade to 4K like they've been doing with the Pixar movies. Or maybe not. Maybe everything just goes on Disney Plus forever now. Who knows? If small outlets like Kino Lorber and Criterion, like these dumb little third party, I mean, great, but also like tiny little third party, no budget home video <laughs> distributors can really put in the effort to make great restorations, the mouse can. So my point is just in general, when regarding this specific point or the Muppet Show point or whatever, no, you don't have to give the Disney Corporation any credit. Yep. You are allowed to complain about these things. You are allowed to blame them for things. You can still love the movies and the, you know, and mm -hmm. love the Muppet Show and love like all the art that Disney legally owns while also being like Disney bad. Yeah. And I just wanted to draw that distinction again. Get up my soapbox because obviously it's been on my mind. I'm off the soapbox now. I just find myself hoping that someday they will find a value in restoring these animated classics to their original good looking state and get rid of these ugly traced over versions. No guarantees, but I tend to be an optimist. So I tend to hope that we'll go through phases, right? They're going through a phase right now that's kind of bad and they don't care about how things look. Right. But I'm hoping someday they'll get to a phase where they actually get to, hey, let's make it look good like it originally looked again. So that's just my <laughs> the way I tend to think of things, whether it's realistic or not. I am also an optimist, but my optimism comes from, I hope someday we can undo the damage Disney did to copyright law <laughs> and put all their movies in the public domain. There you go. So anyone can watch them on YouTube in the best possible version legally and for free. Because I don't think the corporation will do it, but I think that we can break them. <laughs> With that said, would you like to talk about the movie Alice in Wonderland? Let's do it. Let's talk about Alice in Wonderland. Yes, we, we've already talked for a long time, but again, I don't think we need to spend too much time on the plot. <laughs> In fact, I realize now as I look down at my notes about the plot, the first thing that I want to talk about is the voice actors. <laughs> because, of course, we have opening credits that actually list all the voice actors and yeah. who gets top billing, Mr. Ed Wynn. Yeah. For anyone who dares not know, Ed Wynn <laughs> is a great... I keep saying is, was... He is unfortunately quite dead. Yes. But was a great comedic actor who worked on a ton of Disney movies, mm -hmm. more live action than animated. He's best known for, uh, uh, oh gosh. Mary what's Poppins. The... Yes, Mary Poppins. But what's the character name? Her uh, uncle. Uncle Albert. Uncle Albert, of course. Which is, of course, a, a great scene. And Mary Poppins. Yep. One of my absolute favorite movie musicals. A, a true triumph. And we recently saw him in Babes in Toyland when we watched that, where he's the toy maker. That's right. 
uh, and many other things. He was also in non-Disney movies. He started as a vaudeville comedian, went on to the radio. So, you know, this similar career path we've been talking about. Yeah. But he also then, later in life, especially in television and in film, he got into dramatic roles and he was great in those too. <laughs> He's in two excellent Twilight Zone episodes. <laughs> he was also one of these guys who just had an incredible voice and knew how a to use it. A very silly voice and a very silly face. <laughs> yes, but this really is a great cast. I mean, this is your Disney voice acting all-stars. As mentioned, yeah. we have Catherine Beaumont, who didn't do a ton of acting after this. She went to school. Um, but she did continue to be the voice of Alice uh, in Alice and, and, and Wendy, Wendy and Peter Pan. She was the, their voices forever until she retired right. from doing their voices not that long ago. <laughs> yeah, she retired in 2010. And as of recording, she's still alive. And she's very good in this, she you know, is. even though she was like... I think 12 when they were actually recording it, or maybe even younger. Mm -hmm. We got Jerry Colonna, we've talked about as uh, the March Hare. He was the narrator of Casey at the Bat, Make My Music, where of course he's great. Yeah. We have uh, Richard Hayden, who's another like well-respected actor of the time. He's a caterpillar. We have Sterling Holloway as the Cheshire Yay! Cat. Where, oh my gosh, what a performance. I yes. mean that quite genuinely. Excellent. Can't wait to talk about it. Uh, Verna Felton, Back again from Cinderella as the Queen of Hearts, doing a yeah. completely different role from the fairy godmother. <laughs> J. Pat O'Malley, who was an English actor who we have also talked about before because he's several voices in Ichabod and Mr. Toad. He was Cyril Proudbottom, Winky and the Policeman. He will also be back in the Jungle Book. He was also also in Mary Poppins <laughs> as a voice for some of the uh, characters in the animated sections. And in this movie, he is not only Tweedledum and Tweedledee, but he is every character in The Walrus and the Carpenter. Wow. Well, I mean, he ought to be because they're telling the story, right? Right. <laughs> right. But obviously, he's not just doing the Tweedledum and Tweedledee voice. Right. Pinto Colvig is back mostly doing animal sounds, most notably plays the flamingos. Yeah. Good at squeaky noises, I guess. Yes, and I mean many, many others. Basically the top voice acting talent of the time. If only we could have gotten Mel Blanc in there, but I assume that for the, what, eighth time he was given a role and then cut. <laughs> I would think if you've been given a role and cut several times, you're just going to give up and not try for the roles anymore. Just, he's like, hey, do you want to? He's like, don't return those calls. <laughs> And it's great because not only do we have opening credits where all these people are listed, we get closing yeah. credits. These people are actually getting the respect they deserve, which never happens with Disney movies. It's true. I'm not sure why they get both opening and closing credits on this one, since it's not actually something that continues from what I've seen into the later movies. But no, it is fascinating that that happened on this one. I actually remembered this credit song, the title song, Alice in Wonderland. For some reason, this one stuck in my head as opposed to Cinderella, where I was like, oh yeah, there's a credit song. <laughs> it's one of the most famous songs that came out of this movie. It became like a very popular song for jazz musicians to cover. Interesting, because it's obviously not jazzy in its original no. format. <laughs> but maybe, you know, without knowing it, you've heard some other versions of it. Possibly. So we open... On some nice shots of butterflies, and we quickly see that Alice is there with a woman who's reading to her. Apparently, this is supposed to be your sister, which yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, Alice's older sister, 
who's like a grown woman who's reading to her from a history book. She's they're having school outside. <laughs> I should note, by the way, uh, I have read the book, but it's been a long time. So like if this sister's in the book, I don't know. I don't recall. It has been, we own the books, but it has been a very long time since I've read them as well. They are very strange and not something I want to reread a lot. <laughs> so Alice, you know, she's playing with flowers. She's paying no attention. She wants to live in a world where everything is nonsense. Yeah, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> yes, uh, because she's about to have her psyche shattered. And pretty quickly, you know, the rabbit, I don't know if you know, he's late. He's late for a very important date. No oh, you already skipped a whole other song in the world of my own. There's so many songs in this. It just goes from song to song to song. As I said before... Most of the songs in this don't really stand out to me. I don't know. What do you think? I don't think most of these songs are great. Like later on, we're going to get to uh, one of the, the bigger songs. Um, oh, what's the one the flowers sing? All in the Golden Afternoon. Thank you. Golden Afternoon. Not a great song, in my opinion. No, I mean, a lot of them aren't ones you're just going to find yourself humming afterwards. They're not that sort of song. But I think they all help not advance the plot because there's not a huge plot, but they all fit their segments, I guess is what I'm trying to say. They kind of set the mood for their pieces. But that's why some of the most memorable songs are like the I'm late, I'm late thing that I just did, which I think I basically did the entire song. I very mean. nearly. It's very short and you just get bits and bits of it, you know, throughout the movie as she chases the white rabbit. Which, spoilers, Alice chases the white rabbit. <laughs> right. Or, you know, weird things like, How doth the little crocodile? Yeah. Which isn't exactly a song either. No. Yeah, so when it does stop for a musical number, I like it less than, I mean, last week we talked about Cinderella, which has all-time music. <laughs> That's okay, it's not bad. Uh, so yeah, she follows the white rabbit, she crawls. I noticed Alice talks to herself a Constantly. lot in this movie. I also wrote that down! <laughs> And so at first, it's like she's talking to her cat, Dinah, but it's just, it's an interesting choice they did for Alice, where she's thinking out loud all the time. <laughs> I think part of it might be to help reduce the peril, because it's really noticeable here where she's falling. Yeah. And again, Alice in the books, like, there is some darkness to it that gets mm -hmm. scrubbed out of here, because again, Disney-fied, we talked about this with Pinocchio as well. Yeah. I can't remember if in the book specifically when she's falling, there's actual peril, but this could be a moment of peril. And instead she's just like, oh, I'm falling. Isn't that interesting? And oh, I'm doing this and that. It, it kind of feels like maybe it's to soften things if she's maybe. constantly talking about how she's not bothered. <laughs> it's funny how she's sees the rabbit who talks about he's late. She's like, oh, maybe he's going to a party. I want to go to a party. I'm coming along. It's like, he never said it was a party. <laughs> yes, that's the other thing is, you know, there's there's no real reason. I mean, on the one hand, there's no reason for her to be chasing the white rabbit. But on the other hand, if you saw a talking rabbit in a waistcoat, yeah, you'd probably follow to try to figure out what's going on. I can't say I would. Right, right. To be like, what? <laughs> so the first kind of major sequence of wackiness uh, is when she runs into the living door. Yep, the doorknob. There are so many characters in this movie, and all of the character designs are amazing, even the ones that you don't necessarily see that much, and they really stick in your head. Yeah. And Doorknob is a great example. I love that his mouth usually maintains a keyhole-esque shape, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it does. It's, it's just 
fascinating to watch. Yeah, he's fun. And of course, she's too big to go through the door. So he says, check out the bottle on the table, which of course, then the table and the bottle appear. She never noticed them until he said they kind of fly in. She has a weird digression about poison while she's taking the drink me thing where even Doorknob is like, (laughs) what? It's not weird. You know, you shouldn't drink from a bottle marked poison. She's been taught. She's a girl who's been taught. Don't drink from bottles marked poison. So here's a strange bottle that says drink me. She's checking it all over to make sure it's not poison. It it feels, I don't know. It feels almost like an edu- It's like G.I. Joe, you know, turning to the camera like, we've had a lot of fun here. But kids, don't drink random bottles out in the woods. (laughs) Except again, even the doorknob seems to be like, what are you talking about? And she's like, oh, just talking to myself. She's giving herself very good advice. That's right. (laughs) Um, Which is another thing I forgot to to mention. One of the alternate versions of this movie was going to have the White Knight appear and help her out. And the White Knight was actually like concept arted and modeled after Walt Disney. (laughs) Supposedly, Walt himself decided that she needed to be more self-reliant. And there was a song about him giving her advice that was discarded and she gives herself advice so that's why i thought Mm -hmm. of it here yep which i mean is a fine idea i don't know alice is the (laughs) least interesting character in this movie just because everything else happening is it's so crazy and fun so now she's the right size after drinking from the bottle for the door but then he's like oh i'm locked and it's like dude i forgot (laughs) to tell you i'm locked (laughs) and of course the key is on the table and now she's too short so he says try the box which has a bunch of little cakes that say, eat me. The doorknob, by the way, played by Joseph Cairns, who is best known apparently as Mr. Wilson on the uh, Dennis the Menace TV series, which I've mm. never heard of in my life. Went from 1959 to 62. I'm pretty sure he's best known for this movie, but okay, Wikipedia. <laughs> and then she grows enormous and fills the room. And so then she's, of course, very upset because now she's again too big to go through the door. She starts to cry and her tears are so big, she swamps the room in water. (laughs) She drinks from the bottle again and shrinks and ends up in the bottle. And she now is even tinier and she goes out through the keyhole. (laughs) Right. And I looked and this is only about 10 minutes into the movie. I checked because... 700,000 things have happened in the first 10 minutes of this movie. Like, it yeah. is it is breakneck pacing. It is kind of a nonstop assault in a good way. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it's a good way. It, it puts you in the mindset of madness. Yes. And then, of course, she's like, I do wish I hadn't cried so much. <laughs> There's a dodo singing a little song. He says, ahoy and other nautical expressions, which made me laugh. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of birds and... A few animals, but mostly birds, making their way to shore because they're now on some sort of a sea made of her tears. There's these birds that look like knockoffs of the three caballeros, which I thought was funny. There's like a green one, a blue one, and a red one that look like, you know, your like bargain bin Walmart (laughs) grocery store aisle knockoff versions of the three caballeros. That's funny. But of course, they're also in a Disney movie. Hey, I know Mickey has the Alice in Wonderland short. Having just said that, though, a Donald Duck Alice in Wonderland short, that would be something. There actually is one, Donald in Math Magic Land, mm. where Donald actually, for a while, is dressed like Alice with the dress and everything. I am, I'm going to have to find that on totallylegalwebsite.biz. Yeah. So then there's the caucus race song, which the Dodo is singing at the other animals as they're running in a circle. 
the race is just in a circle. Nobody ever begins and nobody ever ends. You just keep mm-hmm. going round and round. And supposedly it's to get them dry, but they're still being hit by waves. So the only one getting dry is the dodo who's up on a big rock. Well, the dodo, as we will see later, doesn't uh, seem like a, a very trustworthy person. No. And again, not remembering this movie, I assumed dodo was out after this scene. <laughs> I was like, that was such a cool kind of fun little one scene character, like this goofy pirate bird. Yep. That was nice. And then he shows up later and I'm like, yay. <laughs> uh, but the rabbit, of course, is still late. Yep. So she follows him into the woods. And this is where we get Tweedledee and Tweedledum, yep. which is where this movie really started cooking for me. I enjoyed all this <laughs> stuff before it, don't get me wrong. But Tweedledee and Tweedledum are so good. Yep. It's a very funny scene with them where she's not sure at first if they're alive. And then they're trying to teach her manners. And right. she's like, oh, <laughs> Their design is so funny. The way they move is. is so funny. The way they honk every time they touch. <laughs> yes, every time they do anything. The fact that they're just circles yeah. with like grumpy faces. The fact that they talk simultaneously, but it's only one voice. <laughs> and again, this is where you're just seeing like this this brilliant inventiveness on display. Yeah. And then not only are Tweedledee and Tweedledum great, and we get a lot of business with them, but then, of course, they start telling this story. And this is not quite my favorite scene, but it's very close, as you can probably tell, because I've already brought it up 60 times. <laughs> which is the walrus and the carpenter. Yep. And this starts off with the sky being half day and half night. I got a shout out. Norm Ferguson was the directing animator for this sequence. You can pause it at any time, and it's funny. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the the walrus especially, whenever he's talking, it's so funny. And I know because <laughs> I watch it several times so I can practice for the song at the beginning of this episode. <laughs> and every time I would pause it, again, like no matter what face you pause on, the walrus is being funny. <laughs> and this is this, the part of the movie that does get legit dark because there's baby oysters, the walrus who is sort of a con man, Yeah, you know, talks them into leaving and they get eaten by the walrus. He eats them all. And they're, and they're really cute. They're really cute <laughs> baby oysters. Little, and yeah. you see their corpses. I mean, you see their empty shells. Yeah. But it's like, you know, you could tell what the walrus is doing and you're like, oh, I'm sure there will be, you know, sort of a, a moral lesson in here that will... Like, the the walrus will surely don't, be stopped. The moral lesson is don't be curious <laughs> or you get eaten by a walrus, right. I guess. Surely, you know, old mother oyster or whatever, the one that's smart enough to stay yeah, back. the mother. Surely she'll save the day. Nope, she's like, Mm-mm. they all got eight. Sucks to be them. <laughs> and the song slash poem because a lot of it is just spoken, yeah. is really good. Yeah. And again, five great performances by J. Pat O'Malley. <laughs> of course, the, the running refrain is, the time has come. The walrus said. To do this and that. And so the punchline of this segment is so good, where the carpenter is furious, and the walrus just goes, the time has come, and runs out. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's a great little sequel. I mean, like, Again, this is this has nothing at all to do with the movie. It could be a short in one of the package films and, yeah. and fit fine, except that it's too good for most of them. <laughs> but I love it yep. with my whole heart. Alrighty then. And then Tweedledee and Dumb are like, we're going to do another recitation. And Alice sneaks mm-hmm. off. But I was like, yeah, great. Give me another one of those. <laughs> yeah, so they start Old Father William. 
I actually had to memorize Old Father William. You were talking about how you had to memorize the Jabberwock. I had to memorize Old Father William when I was in school. Any Mimsy Borgroves in that one? No. It is very silly, but it's it's not got as many weird words. You are Old Father William, the young man said, and your hair has become very white, and yet you incessantly stand on your head. Do you think at your age it is right? Basically, it's Old Father William's like son or grandson being like, stop being so silly. And he's like, I'm old. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> that is literally what the poem is about. Hey. It's great. Sounds good. Yeah. He's like, when I was young, I was worried about things and didn't want to stand on my head for fear it might scramble my brains or whatever it is. But now that I'm old and it doesn't matter, I'll do whatever I want. See, I'll do it again and again. And I'm not complaining, of course, but even that, <laughs> you know, that would fit thematically in better with this movie, which is all about like nonsense and fun yeah. than The Walrus and the Carpenter, which is about infanticide. <laughs> <laughs> But again, not complaining. It rules that it's there. <laughs> it's it's so mean-spirited. I love it. <laughs> but she leaves. Of course. She goes to the rabbit's house. The rabbit's calling her Mary Ann, which is very strange. I think he assumes she's his servant or housemaid or something like that, which whose name is apparently Mary Ann. And we never see Mary Ann, so we have no idea what she looks like. I'm assuming vaguely like Alice, but who knows? This is nonsense land. She could look like the dodo. <laughs> <laughs> this movie, Alice is supposed to be a, a more self-sufficient character. This is a real bonehead move. She eats and eats me. <laughs> you know what those do. Yeah, she's like, oh, don't mind if I do. Absent-mindedly, I said, I, I wrote down. She absent-mindedly eats one of those Listen, cookies. I'm an absent-minded snacker, but you gotta be on your toes, lady. You're in Wonderland. <laughs> she doesn't seem to ever quite grasp that she's gotten her wish. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> that she she wished, she's like, I wish I had a world of nonsense and everything would be weird. Yes, every time she wanders into a new place, she's like, oh, these people will definitely be having a normal one. Yeah, no. <laughs> you did, you, no, girl. <laughs> everything here is weird. Figure it out. <laughs> yeah. So she goes and she, she grows and fills the entire house, which is a very amusing Yes, scene. but uh, this is one of my favorite jokes in in a movie whenever this happens where it's a movie where for one character <laughs> it's the worst day of his life. Like an otherwise lighthearted <laughs> yeah. comedy that has a B plot where this rabbit loses everything. Yeah, poor guy. This whole sequence is just devastating <laughs> um, because the dodo's back. And he's like, oh, help me defeat the monster. Bill Thompson is the white rabbit who, of course, would also be Smee. Yeah. He's doing the same voice, which is fine. It's a good voice. He also is King Hubert in Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, that's believable. Yeah. And he was Scrooge McDuck in a 1967 short, but not in any of the <laughs> things that you know. <laughs> right. Wait a minute. I'm looking up this short he was in now. The Mellow Men were the Huey, Dewey, and Louie, so Thurl Ravenscroft was one of Scrooge's nephews. I might have to find this on Totally Legal website as well. Yeah. Scrooge McDuck and Money is the name of this thing. 1967, <laughs> directed by Hamilton Luska. Interesting. I'm fascinated. <laughs> so the Dodo sees Bill the Lizard going by and sends him up the chimney. This is another one sending him to die. Yes! You talked about, we're going to send this character to his doom. 
they force him up the ladder and i have to say bill the chimney sweep lizard another like great one-off character design especially coming from the wartime era where so many of the designs are lazy or blatantly copied you know like chip and dale (laughs) being all (laughs) over the place in those right it's great that in this like every guy you know who walks on is fun yeah and different bill the chimney sweep lizard could be an actual like character who sticks around of course instead he gets launched into outer space <laughs> when alice sneezes <laughs> and he never there comes... goes bill I... <laughs> I love that line it's, it's so, so funny silly. and it is <sighs> oh man and that's just yeah he you know he's up there with president no i'm the president which <laughs> is a reference for two people who are both related to us but <laughs> and the dodo just makes everything worse everything he touches turns to disaster but exactly. not for him no of course not he's like okay now we have to set fire to the house <laughs> to drive the monster out um and alice is like oh no and the rabbit is like what he takes all the rabbit stuff and starts smashing it up and lighting it on fire yes. and it's... and it's a small song too we'll smoke the monster out <laughs> yes I suppose so that alice is, technically... is like okay i need to eat something so she grabs a carrot from the garden and right. eats it and then she shrinks now she's actually so small she's smaller than the rabbit and everybody she's actually like the size of the rabbit's foot mm-hmm and then the rabbit's like, oh no, I'm late. I have to go. Have fun destroying my property, Dodo. Yeah, so the Dodo's like, gotta keep working to get rid of this monster. Not noticing the monster is completely gone now because Alice has run off after gotta the rabbit. Gotta see if the rabbit has any good stuff. <laughs> Ooh, the complete scrubs on DVD. Don't mind if I do. <laughs> and this uh, this next section isn't bad, but uh, it's, a, it's a little bit of a step down from... All the the great stuff we've been enjoying, in my personal opinion. I think there's a lot of fun character design with the flowers, too. So Alice ends up in a garden. There are silly things like bread and butterflies and a rocking horsefly that she sees. Love bread and butterflies. Yes, they're so funny. Some of the flowers just look like normal flowers, but some of them look like, you know, they have caterpillars that look like cats and dog flowers that have, you know... It's just all kinds of funny little things. And the rose is in the film The Sound of Music, where she's Baroness Eberfield, Mm -hmm. as was the caterpillar, who of course is coming up, Richard Hayden. Richard Hayden is Max Detweiler in that. (laughs) So it's funny how many of these actors have like crossover projects. Yeah, that's interesting. So the flowers are going to sing In the Golden Afternoon because it's a song about all of them. Yeah. It's a sleepy song, which they completely acknowledge. Right. Because people are yawning in the song. (laughs) And you're right. There are great character designs. Again, the visuals carry this thing all the way. This one is a more beautiful segment. It is pretty to look at. As opposed to some of the others, which are just wacky, zany Mm-hmm. ridiculousness alice messes up her solo which is fun yeah and then after the song they're trying to determine what kind of flower she is which is funny and she introduces herself as genus humanus alice lady maybe you do need to get some more schooling because that's <laughs> that's nothing you also gotta love bud yes Quiet bud. the little rose bud i think she's pretty <laughs> <laughs> quiet bud so she gets chased out yeah, well, because cause she says she's not a, she's like, I'm not a flower. And they're like, oh, then you're a weed. And they chase her away. Because she, instead of saying, 
I'm actually a girl who's shrunk. <laughs> right. She just keeps telling them what she's not. Right. I don't know why she's like, I am a human being. <laughs> I mean, they might still chase her away. Genus Humanus Alice, she may not know anything. She may be completely illiterate. <laughs> she can only read the words eat, drink, and me. <laughs> Here's a great guy to teach you about letters, though. Right. She sees these vowels of smoke floating through the air, and she follows them back to the caterpillar, who's singing the song (laughs) A-E-I-O-U. Just another great character. It's a great great moment. The smoke, (laughs) all the animation involving the smoke is incredible. It's very funny. It's such a good idea, like a good visual idea. That obviously isn't exactly in the book, because how could it be? I mean, of course, he still has right. a, a hookah in the in the book, but, you know. I like how he has so many arms and legs, he can't figure out what they're all doing. <laughs> and I like how he is kind of wise. Like, obviously, he gives her this advice. He's a li- one side will make you grow taller and keep your temper and all of this. Yeah. He's a little Gandalfy, <laughs> including the fact that he's constantly smoking. <laughs> Except Gandalf wouldn't be constantly going, who are you? Right. He'd just be like, I know who you are. (laughs) Yes. I think it's funny that Alice has no satisfactory reply to this question because she's like, I don't even know anymore. Right, same with the rosebuds. <laughs> uh, it, there's, or the, the flowers. There is kind of this interesting through line of like identity in this movie. Everyone asking, who are you and what are you? Which nothing really gets done with it, but it's... It's interesting. Yeah. And, uh, of course, he he gives his recitation. Of how doth the little crocodile, which is very fun with all his little smoke images. Mm-hmm. And I think it's funny how he tells her to keep her temper. And then, of course, when she complains about her size and he's the same size, he loses his temper. Right. She really harshes his mellow. <laughs> he puffs himself all covered with smoke and then he transforms into a butterfly. And then he flies away telling her about the mushroom One side will make her go bigger and the other smaller. There's all kinds of signs in the forest. She doesn't know where to go. And then she's hearing this music. Twas brillig. And she's following along trying to find it. And she meets... I think the Cheshire Cat is my favorite character in this. This is not my favorite scene. But the Cheshire Cat is my favorite character. I agree with both of these premises. The Cheshire Cat is clearly the best design. Clearly the best animated character because... All of the famous stuff, the smile and the stripes and yeah. all this craziness. And again, Sterling Holloway's performance. This is, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about how much we love him. And a yeah. big part of it is just like, he's got a great voice. He's very funny. Mm-hmm. He's very good in the kind of narrator roles that are mostly what he been get- he's gotten in these yeah. movies up to this point. Or the more flustered Stork and Winnie the Pooh. This is great because this is a character... Very unlike any of his other voice performances. And it shows that he truly does have range because, of course, the Cheshire Cat is not (laughs) he's not flustered at all. He knows exactly what's going on better than anyone else. And he's also like just a little bit sinister. And he's 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 extremely crazy and silly. He's constantly laughing, but not like goofy bouncing off the walls silly right like you said a little bit almost a sinister kind of a crazy silly it's a very delicate balance to do all of that stuff yeah and even in the spinoff that we're going to have to talk about the the tim burton movie like stephen Mm -hmm. fry's the cheshire cat i don't know if you remembered that i didn't remember it's been too long stephen fry who's a great actor 
And who's pretty terrible. Like, (laughs) just because the Cheshire Cat is a really hard role. And you also need a really great voice actor, which Stephen Fry is mostly not a voice actor, mostly a live action actor and it's different skills. Yeah. But, you know, this just really is an incredible piece of acting work. 100%. He he manages to hit all the right notes and come up with Mm -hmm. a character that is so specific and so unlike anything else. Yeah. And... Yeah, does does seem to have he's very wry, you know, in the in, yeah. in the way the cats are. He he seems to know it feels like he knows what's going on, but he's keeping it as a private joke for himself. Definitely. There's also a little surf guitar in the soundtrack here. I don't know if you picked up on that. Mm, there's I one didn't there's one moment where there's legit surf guitar. I can't remember <laughs> what it is exactly, but there's like a lot of weird kind of music and noises yeah. going on here. It just amused me. So he points her, if you go this way, you'll meet the Mad Hatter. If you go that way, you'll meet the March Hare. And she's like, uh, maybe I'll go visit the March Hare. I don't want to go among mad people. Of course he's mad too. Yes. Most everyone's mad here. And then I love the line where he says, I'm not all there myself with the dual meaning because right. he's fading away again, which yes. I didn't catch the dual meaning when I was a child watching this. <laughs> yep perfection yeah and such a good character that nothing else really happens in that scene it is just she's in the forest and the cheshire cat is there and that's enough to sustain a whole scene a whole two scenes oh, yeah eventually yeah this next part is my favorite mine too the unbirthday party scene the unbirthday party scene is a triumph oh. obviously more great voice work here and the the yes. dormouse in this by the way it's like been through hard times <laughs> Dormouse looks rough. I don't know. He does look rough. Maybe uh, T does not act upon him the way it acts upon normal people. I don't know what's up with mm. that guy. He's he's yeah. he's had a hard life. <laughs> so much silly business with the tea and the cups and the teapots. This and... scene in the movie is just where it becomes true madness. Like yeah. This is a true achievement in writing, even though you don't think of the script as being the great part of this movie. But there are so many, there are like 700 different bits happening at once in this scene. Oh, yeah. So many sight gags. There's the bit of changing seats and there's the bit of Alice not ever getting to drink anything. And no, bits never of like get to drink any of her eating tea. stuff. And there's the bits of the different conversations they're having. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. It's not just that there are so many different jokes. It's that there are these like multiple running gags that they keep just picking up and putting back down mm. like the tea they're serving. The animation is crazy. It's... It's impossible to actually follow this scene because it's so chaotic. And yet you do at the same time. You always kind of understand what's going on. Mm. Again, it's this just impossibly small needle to thread. And it did an excellent job. Of course, Edwin is great. But I thought it was interesting that the arch hair is kind of more prominent in this scene i think a little kind bit. of driving it a bit more yeah i didn't really pay attention to who was who was talking more or driving the stuff it just mm-hmm. let the whole scene wash over me and as i said as soon as the music for this scene started i was like oh man i'm at disneyland with the sound of the music and the teacups and riding that ride and it was really funny it's just interesting because now i feel like a lot of people myself included Think of the Mad Hatter as being like one of the main characters of Alice in Wonderland, <laughs> especially post the Burton movie. And it's fun to remember, no, he's not. He's not even he's really not. the main character of his own scene, <laughs> but he's just like a guy who's there for a second. It's very odd. Yep. 
But yeah, this this scene could last two hours and I'd love it. But also mm-hmm. my heart would explode yep. trying to watch mm-hmm. it because it's so much. Uh, I wrote down the, the biggest laugh from me here is somebody cracks a teapot like an egg. And the yeah. tea comes out <laughs> it's of it like an egg. It's the March hair because she's trying to pour herself some tea and there's no spout on the teapot. And so the March Hare takes it and cracks it open and pours the tea out. Because every single teapot works differently. Every teacup works differently. The March Hare says, just half a cup and slices a cup in half, holds it out half top to bottom. Right. Slices a cup in half half. top to bottom. And the tea is poured in and it stays in even though there's no side to the cup and he drinks it. It's so funny. Just all those little jokes like that. Crunching saucers like their cakes or whatever. And then then once again, the rabbit wanders in to suffer. Yep, white rabbit walks through everywhere. He's late because he's wandered all over the whole thing of Wonderland. That's why. (laughs) (laughs) To get wherever he's going. God's mistake is back for more torment. And so, of course, he pulls out the watch. This is where the Mad Hatter comes into his own. Right. Is the scene with the watch. He's like, your watch is two days slow. And so he's going to fix it. He cuts it open. He slathers it with salt and butter and all kinds of things. And the March Hare just keeps offering more and more things to the Mad Hatter to fix the watch. And and then when he offers him the mustard, though, he's like, Mustard? Don't let's be silly. Right. <laughs> and they they call it the Mad Watch. They're like, Mad Watch, Mad Watch. Because then the watch is going crazy, of course. It's, hor- it's in a Mad Watch. In oh, a good so way, funny. horrifying. Like, at, right. <laughs> before they said Mad Watch, I wrote down Hell Clock. <laughs> it's, it's Mad Watch, Mad Watch. Glorious. So great. The the rabbit should know better, <laughs> probably, <laughs> than to. If you come within 100 yards of this table, like. Yeah, you feel like. You should not be there, man. And then the rabbit gets uh, yoked. Gets thrown somewhere. Yep, he gets tossed out of the party. Alice gets up to follow, and then she's like, you know what? I have had enough nonsense. I just want to go home. <laughs> yep. And now- So she's finally not trying to follow the rabbit, but she's not sure how to get home. She enters the Tolji Wood, yep. where there's a lot of strange birds. These birds are all very silly vulture umbrellas people talk about this as being one of those sequences that can scare kids which is interesting because i don't find it that scary but it it seems to affect i guess people the the mood of the scene the tone of the music and stuff is a little bit it's darker slightly spooky well we gotta calm down again from Mm -hmm. the (laughs) <laughs> yeah, this is your wind down from the mad tea party. Yeah. We do actually see the momraths here. I love the momraths. Guiding rats. her to a path. They are the funny little, they look like clo- fuzzy clothespins. Yeah. They guide her to a path. She's like, a path, this will take me home. Which it's like, why would you think this path would take you home? Yeah, first of all. <laughs> so Alice follows the path, but then this broom dog comes and sweeps the path away till all that's left is the square she's standing on. Folks, we've all been here. We've all had this happen to us. <laughs> Following a path, suddenly broom dog, broom dog comes along and sweeps it away. And this is another moment I don't like as much. Not broom dog. Broom dog is, I mean, he, he's our next president. But now we try to have some emotions. And it's a very good advice song. That's not what this movie needs. And this, the, yeah, mm. the very good advice song. This is where the, the white knight was going to come in and kind of solve yep. her problems for her. 
I don't know. I don't need it in this movie. And it's kind mm-hmm. of lame that her takeaway here seems to be like, oh, nonsense is bad. Which isn't really where the movie ends up going. But now it seems like with this and kind of the couple sequences before it, it seems like she's getting to this place of like, oh, I I wish, you know, I hadn't want to this nonsense world because it's actually bad and maybe when i go back i'll dedicate myself to my studies and it's like that's (laughs) not what you want from this move i mean you know kids listening yes dedicate yourselves to your studies but like it's okay to have fun too (laughs) that's not what this movie is that you know the fact that she walks out of the unbirthday party and is like that sucked (laughs) is the opposite of how you feel as an audience member right so it's a little i just don't need this moment yeah, this was never my favorite scene. I can I remember that. I always felt like, oh, whatever. It's the very good advice song. <laughs> it's a good, very good bathroom break. That's what this is. Very good advice. Will she ever learn to do the things she should? I kind of don't care if she does or not. <laughs> yep. But then the Cheshire Cat appears again. Yeah! And it's all good. <laughs> Movie's a masterpiece again. So now we enter... The final movement of the movie. Yep. We have the the Paint the Roses Red song, which also isn't very good, but I was like, whoa, Thurl Ravenscroft. Thurl <laughs> Raven's card. Yep. But only when singing. There's yes. a later moment where all the cards are talking and none of them are Thurl Ravenscroft. And I'm like, that's lame. <laughs> kind of shades of pink elephants, this scene, because it's just cards like on plain colored backgrounds being ridiculous. Yeah. And changing color and doing all kinds of weird stuff. And of course, now we're going to introduce the Queen of Hearts and the King. And the King. <laughs> Which, the first time that happened, I was like, that's kind of funny. And then the it's one of those jokes where the fifth time it happens, you're like, yes! <laughs> so funny. And I guess this is where the rabbit was trying to get. He's like their herald. Yeah, yeah. He's the, he's that's, This is apparently where he's been trying to go all along. No wonder he was worried. That queen is vicious. Yeah, but also all roads go here, so I, I like you were saying <laughs> earlier, I don't know how he was so late. Right? So the Queen of Hearts, of course, a, a classic Disney villain, represented yeah. in the board game Villainous, which is how you know you've made it <laughs> if you're a Disney villain. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, a lot of the Disney movies, not necessarily intentionally, but end up kind of glorifying royalty and the monarchy because like, it's all about princesses and princes yeah. and... This is the one movie that kind of shows royalty the way it actually is, which is, you know, (laughs) inbred, cruel tyrants. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Who just get to do whatever they want all the time, kind of for no reason. So this is the, the movie that like has the best sort of, I don't know consciousness in that sense of what royalty is, is actually like, and of (laughs) course, monarchy is bad. (laughs) I don't really think that's what this movie's doing, especially because there's a line later where Alice is like, you're not a queen, you're a fat, pompous, bad-tempered old tyrant. But yeah. again, it's like, well, that's kind of what queens are, because that's what happens <laughs> when you tell someone that God has given them infinite power. Yeah, but sometimes. it's it's interesting. It's 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 yep. an interesting angle this movie sort of has. Yeah. So you're never going to get a truly radical Disney movie, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's nice. And of course... Off with your head and all of that. Yep, the queen likes to play croquet. Yeah, then we get bird croquet. This is a moment where you said that the colors on the Blu-ray version are like all messed up. They're, yeah, they're extra bad in this scene. I don't really want to go into it a ton since we talked about it so much earlier. But it's extra bad here. Everyone cheats for the queen to win. They all know 
who's got the power. Right. Then, of course, the Cheshire Cat appears again. Yep. And then the Cheshire Cat is very bad. Or very good, however you want to look at it. He takes the queen's croquet mallet flamingo, hooks the beak under her dress, so that when she swings it, she ends up upside down with her bloomers showing. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, gasp! And so it's off with her, but the king is like, can't we have just a little trial? Just a little trial? Yeah. So There's something very funny about the king, who doesn't even seem to really care about Alice or, like, justice. No, no. Just thinks it would be fun to do a trial. Let's have a trial this time. Yep. <laughs> so trial is very silly. The witnesses that are being called up are the March Hare and the Dormouse and the Mad Hatter and everything they say that is just meaningless. Of course, because we're in opposite world, it's important evidence. Twinkle, 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 twinkle. <laughs> That's the most important thing we've heard all day. Yep. And Alice is fully sick of it, by the way, which yeah, I think she's is She's rolling important. her eyes. She's like, ugh. The Mad Hatter, of course, mentions that they were celebrating an unbirthday party, and then they realize it's the Queen's unbirthday, too. So they have the unbirthday song again a little bit. And she's given a gift, which is a hat, which turns back into the Cheshire Cat. Right, which freaks out the Dormouse, which sets off this Rube Goldberg machine of that just ends mm-hmm. in total chaos. Yep. And Alice thinks of the mushrooms she's got in her pocket and eats them both, which is like, oh, why, why would you do that? <laughs> and this is where we get the line about fat, pompous, bed temper. Yeah, so she tired. grows big, and while she's tall and huge... She has all this confidence and courage and she's denouncing the queen and then she shrinks again and uh, she's she's like, uh-oh. <laughs> so then she has to run away. Right. And this is where the movie just dissolves into total visual insanity, the like of which we haven't seen since uh, the end of Three Caballeros, I guess. Remember that movie? <laughs> Wild. I do. Yeah. And she's kind of traveling backwards through her adventures. Yep, she sees a few of the things. A little bit of the caucus race, a little bit of the other bits. Yep. And then she finds the doorknob again, but it's still locked. And she's like, please let me out. And he's like, you already are out. And right. she looks through and sees herself sleeping on the grass. And then she tells herself to wake up, wake up, Alice, wake up. And then it turns into her sister waking her up. And they go off to have some tea. <laughs> presumably she actually gets tea this time the last shot is just a a pretty little bridge and again even though like the arc of the movie has kind of been alice getting more and more sick of the constant nonsense yeah we don't linger on it much if really at all in the ending like it's not like she's like oh dear sister i'm going to be so much more studio which is nice yeah yeah no it's just oh it was just a dream kind of and that's the movie it is which means it's now time for sequels, spin-offs, remakes, rides, and reboots. Yep. Where, again, there is too much to talk about. There's a lot. So much. And it's not Disney, but I've even watched another Alice in Wonderland. From 1985, there was a two-part made-for-TV musical of Alice in Wonderland mm-hmm. that I we had recorded on VHS off of the TV. And I've watched that many times also. So whenever characters from Alice in Wonderland, the books are mentioned who are not in the Disney one, I tend to think of them from that one because so many more of them were in that one. Although in that one, the Jabberwock is like the villain, which is not really in the book, but. Right. 
anyway, the White Knights and it, you know, it's it's definitely more the first half of the two-parter is Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and the second half is Alice Through the Looking Glass and it's a little more faithful to the book. But anyway, that's not even a Disney thing. But I, I always do think of that when I think of Alice in Wonderland. Right. There are a ton of adaptations in every mm-hmm. conceivable medium. There have been a ton of movies. There was even a movie in 1949 that like got into a legal battle with Disney because of Dallas mm-hmm. Bowers 1949 version. And Disney sued to prevent releasing that version in the U.S., uh, because he never wanted competition because that well and was... he had purchased the rights by that point yeah it's i don't know it's, it's a disney gonna disney <laughs> i mentioned several of the references in the park there is of course at disneyland also the alice in wonderland dark ride as well not just the teacups so alice in wonderland is actually represented twice there the mad tea party ride i always call it the teacups i'm sure everybody else also does but it's technically the mad tea party Yep. And even in Disneyland Paris, they actually have Alice's Curious Labyrinth, which I'm like, ooh, I really want to go through a labyrinth. Yeah, it's a hedge maze. hedge maze. That would be super fun. The dark ride, I didn't really remember, so I watched a ride video of it. It's yeah. pretty boring, mainly because yeah. it hasn't been changed that much, you know, since 1951. So, like, all the animatronics <laughs> are very basic, and you're just kind of riding through the movie. It's not a hugely fun one. I never would ride that ride every time I went to Disneyland, but we would always ride the teacups. When you need to sit down in the dark, that's what the Alice in Wonderland ride is for. Also, of course, the characters roam the park regularly. Alice, Mad Hatter, White Rabbit, Queen of Hearts, Tweedledum, and Tweedledee are pretty much always there. Yep. But other characters have been there as well, including apparently the walrus, which I never really care that much about, like, meeting the costumed characters. I need yeah. to meet the walrus and have my picture taken with the walrus. <laughs> and have him con me to death or something. I don't know. <laughs> there's also we've mentioned once upon a time the tv show several times mm-hmm. of course there's an alice reference in that and then there's an once upon a time in wonderland spin-off where alice is the main character i didn't ever watch that second one i'm not going to go into any details but it's one of those you know have we mentioned one of those shows that has characters from before all the time like house of mouse alice and them are in it of course <laughs> you know Yep, yep. Anyway, you wanted to go into the live action remakes. The live action movies are are very interesting to me. There so there's a 2010 movie directed by Tim Burton that I imagine most of our audience is familiar with. And it's it's important historically because it was not the first Delarm. That was technically Maleficent, but we talked last week about how Cinderella was the one that really took off. Yeah. But this was the movie that inspired the Disney Corporation to do that because it was a huge hit. People might not realize this. It's Tim Burton's highest grossing movie. And remember that he invented the superhero blockbuster (laughs) twice. I mean, those Batman movies that he did that are great, by the way, made a ton of money. And yeah, just by the way, like a, a total side note, everything about the 2010 Alice in Wonderland movie is very depressing (laughs) and very indicative of a particular point in time. One of the things I noticed, the movie was first announced and like the teaser trailer for it was first shown at Comic-Con with the Robert Zemeckis A Christmas Carol and (laughs) G-Force. This was the live action slate of Disney in 2010. 
that's funny. That's so depressing. Yeah. Three three movies that aren't all terrible in ways that aren't even interesting. <laughs> so the the live action Alice in Wonderland film, I definitely watched multiple times i i know we all saw mm-hmm. it in theaters together but then also we somehow got the dvd for free yeah i can't remember what happened i don't care either we ended up with it somehow and this so this movie i watched a few times as a kid i never really remember liking it but i kept trying to i was like this seems like <laughs> something i should like yeah and you know i was not super young but i was young enough that yeah. i would keep trying um, and it was a, obviously it takes more from the Disney movie and rewatching the Disney, you know, the Disney movie this time and not remembering as well, the animated Disney movie that we just talked about. Mm-hmm. It is interesting the way that the remake is adapted more from that than the book and how it's kind of in dialogue with it. Right. Some of the decisions it makes. And it was interesting to me because I'd actually rewatched this 2010 version fairly recently <laughs> Still trying, huh? A couple years ago, I was watching every good Tim Burton movie. I wanted to like rewatch all of them. I wasn't going to watch all of his movies because holy crap! But <laughs> I was rewatching all of his good ones, and I was like, "Is that Alice in Wonderland worth anything?" And I watched it again, and I was like, "No." <laughs> the thing is, it's mostly boring, but it's also hideous. The CGI of that movie is really gross. It hasn't mm-hmm. aged well. The like yeah. the Tweedledee and Tweedledum, for example, are really creepy, <laughs> and you know, for adapted from source material that has great visuals, it's so depressing that it looks so weird, and you have like creepy giant-headed Helena Bottom Carter and whatever else. <laughs> it's also, as I mentioned, a very strange choice to make the Mad Hatter the main character in yeah. probably Johnny Depp's single worst performance. <laughs> Truly terrible. And obviously, I like Johnny Depp a lot as an actor. But it, again, it was a huge, 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 huge success. And it is literally the reason Disney was like, oh, we should make more live action versions of our movies. Yeah. So it's a weirdly important film, even though I don't think it holds up. It's also interesting to me because it kind of started this whole like, it's a movie that's very important to gods because it is like this darker take on Alice in Wonderland. Oh. I, I kind of feel like it was too... The next generation of, like, goths after me as <laughs> Nightmare Before Christmas was to me and, like, my generation. The Tim Burton movie that's, like, it's a kid's movie, but it's a little twisted. <laughs> it had a sequel that's called Alice Through the Looking Glass, even though it's in no way based on that book. Right. Which I tried watching for this podcast because obviously, like, I like going into the weird spin-off. no. No, no. It's not good. We did watch it once back when it was new, I think. I didn't. You guys might have. This was, I was no longer at home. It was 2016. But I will say, so, you know, I tried watching some of the sequel, couldn't make it. Because (laughs) it has even less going on in the story department than the first one. (laughs) Like, Tim Burton is kind of trying to make a good movie, even though he's failing. Yeah. But it looks less aggressively hideous. Obviously, the the technology has advanced. But it's also, in a way, kind of a weirdly important film, the sequel, because it was the last performance of Alan Rickman. Oh, that's a kind of a horrible... uh, Yeah, it's not great. Not great for a genuine (laughs) legend that his last movie was was this. uh, And he he voices the uh, the caterpillar in both movies. Okay. Who, of course, is not like he is in this where he's fun and kind of a weird stoner. 
or whatever's happening in this movie. <laughs> He's he basically just becomes Gandalf. He's just there to provide cryptic advice yeah. and not be funny because that's I mean that's the whole take of this movie is like let's hammer this story that's just madness into a boring yeah. fantasy film shape. Yeah. But these movies are interesting to me. That first one does weirdly sort of have a place in my heart despite the fact that I've never <laughs> really liked it and would now say I actively hate it. <laughs> they're they're more interesting in a cultural context than his actual yeah. films. I also stumbled on something else and uh, hopefully everyone will bear with me because this is a little outside of what we usually talk about here. <laughs> so there's going to be some Disney Plus thing based on the Cheshire Cat. I did see about that. I wasn't sure if that was still in the works because it looked like it was announced in 2019, which I always feel like anything right before 2020, you got to take it with a grain of salt because 2020 killed a lot of stuff. <laughs> That's a very fair point. As far as we know, it's still being worked on and it's going to be yeah. something animated. It might be a series or something. We don't know much about it, but it's just yet another one of these terrible Disney Plus things. That's like, let's take one character from something and pretend that they have a whole story, I guess. <laughs> but while I was looking this up, I stumbled on something else that I think we have to talk about. This is something we <laughs> dropped oh? from the uh, Snow White episode because the article I was reading talked about, like, Disney Plus has said that the upcoming Cheshire Cat series will be like the 7D. And I was like, what's the 7D? The 7D is a Disney XD cartoon that, like, just came out. It had two seasons in 2015 and 2016. Okay. About the seven dwarves. <laughs> and it's, I just sent you a screenshot. It's in, like, the Gravity Falls art style. And they're, like, okay. it's kind of a Gummy Bears thing where they're helping out a queen and fighting monsters. Weird. I need you now. I'm going to send you a video. Uh-huh. Listeners, you could look this up. This is uh, from the official Disney XD YouTube channel, the 7D extended theme song. It's a minute long. It must be seen to be believed. Want me to watch it now? Yes, I need you to watch it right now. Okay, watching it. <laughs> Ew. Bashful, shy, and ducky's bright. Sleepy snoozes day and night. Grumpy's wound up in too tight. I hope for the 70. That's very strange. It might be the worst thing that's ever happened. That's, that's really awful. <laughs> haunts me and here's the thing the reason i showed you the video is because it's it's hard to describe what is so awful about it but when you see it you instantly understand yeah it's like i wonder if they called them the 7d because they couldn't decide if they were gonna say dwarfs or dwarves i i the 7d what a stupid yeah. that's the whole thing like it's it's the kind of thing we don't get much anymore where it's trying to like you know, update an old intellectual <laughs> property to be, like, hip for the 90s, right? Exactly. Which we used to get, like, those that Looney Tunes cartoon that was very 90s. I forget what that's called, but you know what I'm talking about, right? The Tiny Toon Adventures? No, one? not the Tiny Toons. Lunatics Unleashed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I guess is not actually the 90s. It was, it was 2005, but you know what I mean. Yeah, but uh, it was later, which is why I was Where it's like, what if it? they're crime-fighting? whatever's or the like mighty right. to keep it disney the mighty ducks cartoon show that where they're <laughs> space alien ducks yeah. who fight crime 
This is like the same thing for the Seven Dwarfs, except also it's not updated for the 90s. It's updated for the late 2010s, which somehow makes it worse. <laughs> there's so many horrible things in that theme song. Like, oh, yeah, there's a, a lot of like gross out jokes. There's yes. Sneezy. Apparently, his deal is just that he's constantly covering things and snot all over this trailer. Unpleasant. It's it's horrible. It's and- a random live action dude in a chicken suit. Yeah, which I think is just them trying to do, like, Adult Swim-type humor, because Adult Swim would do a lot of that stuff. Again, with the Seven Dwarfs, yeah. who we're also calling the 7D, the theme song is unlistenable. It's like a bad alt-rock version of Hi-Ho. It's made worse by the fact that it starts off with the Hi-Ho from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Like, it actually has a smidge of the good song at the very beginning, and then goes into this bad song yeah it's truly horrible truly should not be i i hate it so much i'm I'm like (laughs) looking up more details about it and the more i look up about it the more upset i am like happy apparently has a new orleans accent what what why Mm -hmm. two 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 of them two seasons two seasons this got not what it should have gotten, which is zero seasons. Ranked number two um, overall amongst Disney XD's animated series. <laughs> I've never heard of this. Obviously, we did a whole Snow White episode, and I didn't even see this. Yep. This doesn't exist. I don't know. Apparently, a lot of the Disney XD cartoons just... If you're not literally watching them, <laughs> you're not gonna hear about them. You know what I mean? The 70 haunts me... Much as Alice will be forever haunted by her experiences in Wonderland. <laughs> Again, I know it, it's not an Alice in Wonderland spinoff, but this, I, it, you, look at it. Look at it. How <laughs> could I not talk about this once I knew of its cursed and wretched existence? Ugh, <laughs> the 7D. The 7D. I can't stop saying it, thinking about <laughs> it, but. Say it oh, fast gosh. enough and it sounds like 70, the number. Yes, which, and you know, numbers remind me that we don't rate these movies using numbers mm. like the 7D, the 7D, the 7D. <laughs> we instead rate them by how 7D they are. I'm losing my mind. <laughs> Mom, would you recommend this movie? I would recommend this movie. Yeah, I would too. That's pretty easy. Yep. <laughs> it's really good. We've talked about why it's really good. It's it's a visual yeah. feast. It was a yep. great sort of rediscovery for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Would you show this to a kid? I would. I'm pretty sure I showed it to you, but obviously not very many times. <laughs> but I would have no problems with showing it to a child. They don't think there's anything really scary in it. There's nothing in it that I feel like a child would watch and take away the wrong thing. <laughs> yeah, maybe like the the walrus and the carpenter but i feel like what makes that so dark might kind of go over a kid's head right i think it definitely would it's not something they're going to try to imitate like hitting people in bongo right it's not like you see the walrus actually eating the oysters and it's interesting how the oyster shells when they're on the cute little oyster babies look different than after than the oyster shells after they've been eaten right they look more real afterwards like this is a food. You might have seen this before. It's okay. It's an actual food, not cute little creatures. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, whatever. I still think it would be fine for children. Yeah, I think it's fine. Yep. Again, I, I know some people who apparently were upset by the Tolgi Wood, but like, 
I don't know. You you know if your kid can handle that or not. Right. So yeah, that's uh, our episode on the 7D. Wrapped no, up. no. What? Alice what? in Wonderland. What? Alice in Wonderland. Tuesday next week. We're watching every episode of the 7D. No, we are not. <laughs> not even on Disney Plus. <laughs> you know how Thank bad. Thank goodness. You have to be to not be on Disney Plus. Do you know what <laughs> the kind of stuff that is on Disney Plus? I do indeed. There's uh... some interesting stuff on there, and by interesting, I mean interesting. <laughs> Interesting doesn't have to mean good, like with those live-action movies that I find interesting. Yep. But next week, we are talking about 1953's Peter Pan. What do you think of this movie? Uh, I mostly have happy thoughts about this movie, though I have no pixie dust, so I cannot fly. I see. Yeah. Mostly have happy thoughts indeed, because there's the one thing that we're going to have to talk about that I'm not looking forward to, but you should look forward to our episode on Peter Pan. Yes. Where maybe I'll also find a way to shoehorn in something completely <laughs> unrelated at the last minute. <laughs> and uh, until then, of course, I'm me. I'm Mom. And it all started with a mouse. Mouse.